I would like for us to uh, take just a moment and go to the Lord and ask His blessing and grace upon our study this morning. Let's, let's go in prayer. Father God, we are so delighted to have this opportunity to be here this morning. What a joy to gather with Your people, to gather with the family, to do so with freedom, to do so with security. So many of our brothers and sisters this day do not have that opportunity. We ask Your great blessing upon them. We ask that You would bring peace to their situation that they might have greater opportunity and greater freedom to share the good news of Jesus. In these days where our world is falling apart in so many ways, Father, we, we, we recognize how desperately the gospel needs to be heard. And we pray that we would all be bold in sharing the good news of Christ. There are places that we cannot go, but many of those folks are coming here to go to school. We pray that through ministries like ISF that they would hear the gospel, become believers in Christ, and be able to go back to those places and share the message there. Well, Father, as we open Your Word this morning, we recognize that we are needy people, how we need to learn of You, how we need to draw close to You, how we need to learn from You. And so instruct us, teach us this morning for our good and for Your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. Having been away for a couple of weeks, we were able to have a wonderful week of vacation and then I was able to be at youth camp for a week uh, back in what I consider my element with the age group that I kind of mentally at least belong with. And uh, it was a great week at camp. We had just a fantastic group of young people and as well a great staff, people who love Jesus and who love kids and invested themselves in kids for the week. It was a week of huge fun. It was a week of great relationship building and a week of great teaching and a week of great spiritual growth. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your investment in our kids and camps through prayers, through your support, and it really does make a difference. I always, as a youth pastor, I always valued camps. You get a whole year's worth of youth ministry packed into one week, and it's hugely valuable. You know, every morning that we are at youth camp, we're at youth camp this week, every morning a month ago when we were at junior camp, and every morning at camps last year, and, well, the year before was COVID, there were other, uh, basically the 38 or so years that we've been doing camps. Every morning we begin with time of devotion, time to... Quiet time set aside to read in God's Word and to pray. It is our hope and our intention that just in that week as kids spend a little time reading in the Word and praying together that, that it, 
it helps to foster and to build a habit in their lives of doing that, beginning each day with the Lord. Most of us know that prayer is important. Prayer is even commanded for us as believers in Scripture. Most of us know that, but from my experience personally and my experience as a pastor over these last 40 years, I recognize that our experience is often different than what we know it ought to be. Most of us would probably say that in our experience, we do not pray enough. We do not pray enough in terms of quantity and time, and we do not pray deeply enough. And I would, in talking with people, one of the reasons sometimes that people struggle in prayer is we wonder, well, what is it I should do? If you've been there, you pray for five or ten minutes and then you go, okay, what do I do now? Well, the Bible has lots of help for us. A few months ago, as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount this past spring, we we spent a little time as Jesus there in Matthew 5 teaches us about the Lord's Prayer and He teaches us how to pray. Well, that is good and there is much to learn there, but there's much more for us to learn. I've never held a job as a carpenter. I've never had really any training as a carpenter. But I have built a lot of things, including I I had the privilege of building my own home. I have built lots of projects and done lots of remodeling, done done lots of of carpentry-type work. And occasionally, on a few occasions, when I've been working with someone, someone has looked at me and said, how did you learn to do that? I remember the first time somebody asked, and I had to think about it for a few minutes because I realized I didn't think I'd ever been taught. But see, my dad was a great carpenter, a professional carpenter for many years. And I learned just simply being in the shop as he worked, and his dad would say, grab that thing over there, bring it to me, hold this, do this. And, and as I simply, were, simply watched my dad as he worked, I learned a lot about carpentry. And how to be a carpenter. We can learn a lot by observing gifted and skilled people, especially if we observe them with the intent to learn from them. And in the same way, we can learn much about prayer when we listen in to someone who is a good prayer. I invite you this morning to take your Bibles and open to Psalm 86. It's a passage we read earlier this morning in our scripture reading, and it has a lot for you and me to learn about prayer. Psalm 86. You'll notice if you look there, right as the psalm begins, the very first words, the little inscription above the psalm, and it is part of the original text, it says there, a prayer of David. You know, there are 150 psalms here in the book of Psalms. Only five of them are labeled as prayers. Many of them are our prayers, but only five actually have the designation 
a prayer. This is one of them. And it's a prayer of David. We know of David that the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And so when David prays, we do well to listen. We do well when we see David pray to watch a master and to to learn what we can. How is it that we can pray well? This morning I want us to notice five keys to help us pray well. To be better prayers. This psalm is, and many of the psalms we don't know the occasion. Some psalms we know specifically the occasion. Sometimes we only have a, a hint. This psalm gives us a little hint, but we don't know the specifics. But we find what's going on down in verse 14. Look at verse 14. David says there in his prayer, he says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. There are some godless and ruthless people who are out to kill David. I I have a feeling if I take a survey this morning that very few of you find yourself in that situation this morning. Hands raised. How many of you have people out to kill you this morning? Okay, I don't see any hands up. So this, obviously this psalm doesn't apply to us, or maybe it does. While we don't have ruthless people out to kill us this morning, there are many of us this morning who are going through hard times, difficult times. Maybe there, you have recently had the loss of a loved one, or you have a loved one who is coming toward the end of life right now. It's a hard time. Some of you, I know, are undergoing very difficult times physically, facing life-threatening illness or disease. Some of you are going through difficult times physically through surgery or other physical impairments. Some of you are having difficult times in your families with a wayward child or difficulty in your marriage. Some of you are having difficulty in your jobs. Some of you are having difficulty in school or with friends. There are all kinds of ways we can have tough times. I think that God allows us often to go through tough times for the express purpose of driving us to our knees. So that we can join with David here who has folks out literally trying to and seeking to end his life. And it drives him to his knees in deep prayer. And in so doing, you and I can listen in. And so we can learn to pray like David God had him go through this and has this experience written down and his prayer written down for our learning. If you're going through tough times, don't miss this opportunity to grow deeper in prayer. If you're not going through difficult times, if life is going swimmingly, wonderfully well, don't miss this opportunity to grow deeper in prayer while things are going well. 
and offer a great thanksgiving to God that things are going swimmingly well. Well, as we begin, as we look at this prayer, it's worth noting that this psalm is mostly a mosaic, a compilation of lines and verses from other psalms and scriptures. And just that little observation made me want to just note a couple of lessons for us this morning. It really isn't part of my main point this morning, but I think it's valuable and so we'll call it bonus lessons this morning. The first is this. My first observation in in that is that David has been in the Word. He's been in the Scriptures. He's been reading the Scriptures, meditating on the Scriptures, maybe singing through some of the Scriptures, singing psalms he's already written. And I say that that is a wonderful thing for you and I to do when we're going through tough times and a wonderful thing for us to do as a prelude to prayer. Before we pray, read Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. Think about it. Sing it. A second lesson here on prayer in this is David is not only not only has he been in the word, he is using these other scriptures in his prayer. In fact, when you go through the scriptures and you read the prayers of godly people in scripture, you will often find that they quote or refer to other scripture in their prayers. That is a wonderful way to pray is to read Scripture and to meditate, think on what it means, and then pray that Scripture back to the Lord. It is really an easy thing to do with Psalms, to read them and then pray them back to the Lord. Thirdly, as I look, David is creating this mosaic here of using other Scriptures and other Psalms I realize that David has prepared this prayer. This prayer is artistic. It is very creative and it's complex. We don't see it really in the English and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but the Hebrew scholars tell us that this psalm is chiastic in structure. It's a chiasm and that means nothing to most of us. It comes from the Greek letter chi, which looks like our X. And what it means is this, that it starts out here with a big idea or thought and then it narrows the focus down till it gets to the, the main point at the center of the psalm. And that's the, the big idea and the great climax of the psalm. And then it works its way back out from that kind of mirroring or re, uh, referring back to the ideas of the first half. It's a work of art. And you see, what I think realize as I think of that is that most of us consider prayer as an extemporaneous thing. It's, it's me sitting down and praying to God, just talking with Him, having a conversation on whatever is on my mind and whatever is in my heart right now. And that is a wonderful way to pray, and it's a perfectly natural way to pray to have a conversation with God. But many of the prayers in the Bible, and this one included, are prepared. Giving careful thought and careful, and careful planning. What do I want to say and how do I want to say it? To say it meaningfully and significantly to God. 
And we can put that in context of a family. It's perfectly natural for children to go to their mom and dad and say, Mom, Dad, I need this. Mom, Dad, can I have this? Mom, Dad, and talk in just real time with whatever is on their mind and on their heart. And that is intimate and it's wonderful. But several years ago, one of my grandkids made a big impact on their parents and all of us when, when they went to mom and dad and brought out some paper and proceeded to lay out well-reasoned, well-thought-through, well-written-out presentation on why it was a really good idea for them to have a puppy. You see, spontaneous from the heart is good, but sometimes a carefully planned presentation might even be better. We can learn from kids, even as we learn from the Master here, that prayer, and many of us maybe have never even thought of this, of preparing a prayer to take to God. David is doing that right here. Well, as I said, that's not the main idea, but just thought it's worth noting. In the first four verses of this psalm, David lays out five prayer requests. And in the process of laying out these five prayer requests, each prayer request he pairs with a statement about himself. So we get this prayer request, and as he makes a statement about himself, he gives the reason or the basis for why he thinks God should answer this request. And you see, that's really what I want to focus on this morning. Because with each of these prayer requests, David says something about himself, and in the process, we learn about the heart of a master prayer. And it's there that we get this morning these five keys to help us pray better, to pray well. Verse 1, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. David's first request is this, listen to me, God. Remember, he's in a mess. People are out to kill him. And he says, listen to me, God. And he predicates that request. He builds it upon an understanding about himself. And when we look at how he describes himself, we note that David does not call attention to his position. He doesn't call attention to his status. He doesn't call attention to his abilities. He doesn't call attention to his worth. Remember, David is king. But the way David describes himself is not as king, not as important, not as worthwhile or worthy of God's answer. He says, incline your ear, O Lord, for I am poor and needy. He calls his attention to his lack of worth, lack of value, his weakness, his unworthiness. David prays humbly. He comes humbly before God. The great old preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, you cannot come to God saying, Lord, look at me and commune with me, for I am somebody. 
But you may say, Lord, commune with me, for I am nobody. You cannot cry, Lord, help me, for I can do much. But you may cry, Lord, help me, for I can do nothing. That is how David comes to the Lord. I am, I can do nothing, and I am nobody. But please, turn your ear to me, listen to me. You recall Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we were there just a few months ago, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize our unworthiness before God and just come to Him and say, I'm desperate. I'm needy. I'm helpless. This attitude is vital for a couple of reasons. One of them is, if we come with our own, with, with a claim of our own worth, if we come with a sense of our own entitlement, if we come thinking that somehow we deserve God's blessings because, you know, man, God, you're lucky to have me on your side, we can expect that our prayers will bounce off the ceiling. The Apostle Peter in his first letter and the Apostle James also quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, reminding us this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we come to God thinking that we deserve anything, we deserve His blessing, God opposes the proud. It's when we come empty and when we come needy, recognizing that we are desperately dependent upon Him, it's then we find grace. Second reason this is so important, this attitude is so important, and it's, it's this. If we, if we don't understand how powerless we are, if we don't understand how unworthy we are, if we don't understand how needy we are, if we don't understand such things, we will not pray frequently. We will not pray earnestly. We will not pray desperately. Matter of fact, I can confidently say if you, if I, are not praying frequently, if we are not praying desperately, if we are not praying earnestly, then we really don't believe that we're poor and powerless and needy. We really think we are somebody and we've got it. It's okay, God. Don't need you right now. I got this. Truth is, our pride blinds us to our need. And so we make our plans and we, we, make, our, we make our strategies and we work hard and we keep going at it and keep going at it and keep going at it until all the wheels fall off. And God lets us fall there exactly so it drives us to our knees. When everything else has failed, we run out of gas. We finally say, well, there's nothing else to do. I guess I better pray. How much better if we start there? How much better if we start there? The, the great uh, author John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress wrote this. He said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed. <laughs> but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Good words. 
God doesn't say sit around and do nothing. What he says is pray first. (laughs) Recognize our need first. Ask for God's help. Ask for God's wisdom. Ask for God's blessing first. Then get busy and do what you can do. Most of us just get it backwards most of the time. Secondly, David prays, preserve my life. Verse 2. Preserve my life, for I am godly. His second request is, God, guard me, watch over me, protect me. And then, what does he base that request on? He says, because I am godly. That word godly in the Hebrew is, many of you have heard it before, it's hesed. It It can be translated Faithful, it can be translated devoted, it can be translated holy. And so we think about that and we hear that and we think, wait, didn't that just violate number one? David is saying, protect me, preserve me because I'm holy. Isn't that just a little arrogant? God, protect me because I'm so holy. Preserve me because I'm so good. Preserve me because I'm so righteous. Is that what David is saying? No, this isn't self-righteousness. See, what David is doing is not saying how good he is, how deserving he is. David is really making the statement based on what God has done and what God has declared. David is basing this going back to, you can go back and read about it, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God comes and sets David apart and makes a covenant, a contract, a promise with David. God declares David as set apart. David, you're my man. Through you, I am going to bring my promised one. David, I am going to establish your throne forever. And David is saying, God, you set me apart. God, you chose me. On the basis of your relationship with me and my relationship with you, God, answer my prayer. David here is praying not only humbly, he's praying personally. God, I have a relationship with you because you set me apart. You made me your man. Some of you may have heard pastors say, I've heard some pastors say this, that God does not answer the prayers of unbelievers. You know, I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. They say that God doesn't hear the prayers of unbelievers. I can't say that. God is God, and He can answer anybody's prayer He wants. But, I also in the Bible can find nowhere where God guarantees that He will answer the prayer of someone who's not His child, someone who's not a believer. But I can find in the Bible that God promises that He answers the prayers of His children. If you're here this morning, if you're watching on video, online, If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, God may or may not answer your prayers. 
God wants to and will answer the prayers of his children. God wants everyone to be his child. He wants everyone to be in relationship with him. That brings up the question, how do you become a child of God? The answer to that is found in Scripture very clearly. John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who have received him, speaking to Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he, as God, gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe in him. You become a child of God. And then you can join with David, knowing that God answers the prayer of his children. And you can come on the basis of that. God, you made me your child. You set me apart as a child of yours, not because I deserve it, but because you're gracious through Jesus. You brought me into your family. That's what David is doing here. He prays personally. You and I personally come to God and we call Him our Father because He's made us His children. An effective prayer life begins with a relationship with God. I hope that no one listening to my voice will miss out on this opportunity this day to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ if you have yet to do that. And then... We can do, as the Scripture says, Hebrews chapter 4, it says, then we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, coming, you see, as a child of God, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Brings us to the second half of verse 2 and to David's third prayer request. David prays, he says, Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. David prays here, asking for God to rescue him. And why? He says, because I trust you, you are my God. Not only has God trusted David, but David trusts God. David prays trustingly. God has chosen David and David has chosen God. David chooses to trust God. He chooses to place himself in God's care. And there are good reasons to trust God. David says in verse 5, he says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. David trusts God because of God's character. God is good. God is gracious. God abounds in loving kindness. And God, David knows this good God won't abandon me. If you're one of those folks this morning going through difficult times and the wheels are falling off and the walls are caving in, life is difficult, life is hard, understand this. Though you might feel like life is out of control, you might feel like God is distant and God isn't listening, understand God is good. God is gracious. And God is loving. He will not abandon you. So David in verse 7 says, In the day of my trouble I will call to you, for you will answer me. He has confidence that God will answer. He trusts Him because He's good. 
God, he trusts him because of God's character. David also trusts God because, look there in verse 8, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. David prays trustingly because God is great, because of God's greatness, His supremacy, and His power. God is the only real God, he says. God is all-powerful. He, all, he is over all little g-gods, whether that is Satan or demons, whether that is the, the powers of this world, the nations, whether that is the bullies down the street, whoever it is, God is in control. And I can rest in the fact that the one who is good is also all-powerful, and He will work out what is good. He doesn't always do what we want. He doesn't always do what we think He ought to do. But He always, Romans 8.28, works for our good, for those who love Him, those who are His children. Lastly, He trusts God because of God's works. Look in verse 10. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. God has been faithful in His works in the past. Because of all that we've seen of God's faithfulness in the past, we can trust Him with our present. We can trust Him with whatever the situation is today and know that in the future we will see the goodness of God. David trusts God. He puts all of his eggs in one basket. There is no plan B. He puts himself in God's hands. David's fourth request we find in verse 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. His fourth request, God be gracious to me. Why? He says, because I'm going to keep asking till you answer. So I am praying all the day. Not just meaning all day today. It's all day today and tomorrow and the next day and on until you answer. David is praying, you see, persistently. The Bible tells us again and again that we are to pray persistently. You may remember Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable, a story. It's a story about a little widow lady who's in a deep mess and about a corrupt judge who won't listen and we won't tell the story or go through it, but if you'll recall, uh, you can go there and read. If you don't, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And Jesus told him a story, a parable, so that and it tells us why. He tells it to his disciples. He says, So that they might always pray and never give up. Jesus says, Pray. All the time. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Sadly, many of us are characterized by what James write in James chapter 4 verse 2 where he says, you do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. What a horrible thing. So many of us sit and we suffer in, in our mess because we simply don't pray. 
Not only do, not, do we not pray persistently, we may not be praying at all. We should be doing both. We should pray and we should pray persistently. David's fifth request is in verse 4. He says, gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. David's fifth request, God, gladden my heart. Have you been in such a mess that all the joy has been sucked out of your life? Anybody ever been there? I think most of us have. Where you just are so, you know, the old saying, you're so low, you got to look up to look down. Yeah. David says, gladden my heart. Bring joy to my life. Why? What does he say? Two things to notice. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, Lord, do I lift up my soul. The basis of him saying, God, gladden my life. Because David is praying submissively. David says, gladden the heart of your servant. Who is David again? He's the king. The king is the guy who everybody waits on him. The king is the guy who's in charge of everybody. (laughs) That's what people think. David knows the reality. God, you're in charge. I'm nobody. And David says, not only am I nobody, God, I'm your servant. What does a servant do? What the master wants. Nothing more, nothing less. Whatever the master wants, the servant says yes. And David says, I'm your servant. You realize what David is saying here. He's saying, God, it's not really about what I want. It's about what you want. He goes on and he says, for to you, I lift up my soul. We, we sing this a lot. It's in a lot of popular choruses. I lift up my soul and we think, oh, yeah. And that means that's like lifting up your hands and go, oh, yeah. And so David here is praying, God, gladden my heart because I'm a great worshiper. (laughs) That's not what it's saying. This is talking about worship in the lines of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to present yourselves as living sacrifices. That's what David is praying here when he says, to you I lift up my soul. It's Lord, here's my soul. Whatever you want to do with it is fine. Chop it into little pieces. Take my life. Send me to Africa. Send me to Mongolia. Send me back into my job or into my school to live for Jesus. David is saying here, It's all about what you want. I'm afraid that most of the time when when we pray, we tend to try to convince God to bend Himself to our desires and give us what we want. We want God to see things our way and understand things our way so that we'll see the wisdom of our way and do what we think He ought to do. Anybody else pray like that? Because I often do. Hmm. We want God basically to be a cosmic vending machine. If we push the right buttons, He just spits out what we want. You know, Pastor Aaron wanted a new truck a few weeks ago. 
And we say, God, you do what I want and I'll be happy. And you see what David prays? Lord, you gladden my heart. You make me happy by doing what you want. You do what you want. I'm your servant. And then, Lord, would you make my heart glad? You do what you want and you make me happy with that. What a great prayer. It's actually what Jesus teaches us to prayer, going back to the Lord's Prayer where we were a couple of months ago when He taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. What's the next line? Your, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. See, what we usually want to pray is My kingdom come and My will be done. That is the main thrust of this prayer. When we get to the climax, when we get to verse 11, when we get to the crux of the X here of this chiasm, look at verse 11. Follow along as I read. Teach me Your way, O Lord, that I may walk in Your truth. Unite my heart to fear Your name. He says, Lord, teach me Your way. Lord, teach me what You want to do. Lord, help me understand what it is You want from me. And then, Lord, and I love the way the NIV translates that next phrase, give me an undivided heart. Give me a heart that isn't always fighting to go my own way instead of Your way. Give me an undivided heart that wants to go Your way rather than mine. Wow. So what's the result of this prayer? This is the master prayer who prays humbly, prays personally, who prays trustingly, who prays persistently, and who prays submissively. What's the outcome of the prayer? Well, we don't really know how God answers the prayer. But the prayer isn't even finished. It's not over. But something has changed. Look in verse verse. 12 and 13. I give thanks to You, O God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify Your name forever, for great is Your steadfast love toward me, and You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David hasn't even finished his prayer, but something has changed. It's not his circumstances. They're still the same. There's still godless, wicked, ruthless people out there who want to see him dead. But what has changed is David. David's heart has changed. David's attitude has changed. David's outlook has changed. David is now a man at peace because God is in control. David is a man who is full of joy because God is in control. David is a man who is is bursting out in thanksgiving and praise because, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to do something And I thank you that you have delivered me. Whatever that looks like, God, you're going to do it. And may I say that really is why God wants us to pray? It's not just so that He answers our prayers and does stuff for us. It's because prayer changes us. It changes our heart changes our 
attitude. It changes our priorities. David has been changed. And I really have nothing else to add to these words from the Master. Except let us pray. Father, forgive us for our pride. It has caused us so often to pray so little and to pray so half-heartedly. It's because we fail to recognize our utter dependence upon You and we, we somehow think so highly of our own ideas, of our own strategies, of our own priorities, of our own worth, of our own, of our own abilities. Forgive us for our pride, for believing that You somehow owe us something and forgive us for failing to appreciate Your grace. Forgive us for failing to trust You. Forgive us for so ease, for giving up so easily in our prayers. Forgive us for so stubbornly seeking our own will rather than Your will. Father, make me, make us, all of us here in this room, all of us who are watching this online. Father, make us people of prayer. May we be known in this church as a people of prayer. And then, Father, give us undivided hearts to walk in Your way and not ours. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.